Good morning, everyone. Uh, great, to, great to see you. Uh, if you're a visitor, my name's Andy. I'm one of the ministers here. A few years ago, Greg Boyd, who's an American theologian and pastor, was, was on holiday in, in Portugal. And he, he saw this statue. Uh, it's King Jose. I can't get the pronunciation. Jose. King Jose of, of Portugal riding out to battle. Uh, and as he, as he looked at this statue, it occurred to uh, Boyd that in just about every major city he had visited around the world, there was always, and this is worse, there was always a dude on a horse. A guy, a horse, and a sword. Boston, it's George Washington. Uh, I think I've probably jumped one. William the Conqueror. Cologne has Emperor Friedrich Wilhelm II. I've, got, I've, I've gone the wrong way, haven't I now? All right, that's, yeah, there we go. That's uh, St. Petersburg, St. Peter the Great. Uh, that's St. Peter the Great. We're getting there. <laughs> you've seen one dude on a horse, you've seen them, you've seen them all. Uh, strictly speaking, this isn't a dude. This is Joan, Joan of Arc. Uh, this is very graphic. There are a whole load of bodies that have been slaughtered under, under Joan, Joan of Arc. Uh, Bartolomeo Colliani in uh, Florence. Wellington. In Aldershot. Even Aldershot has a dude on a horse. Uh, I used to drive past, or we used to drive past this statue every, every week when I was younger. When we were off to football in Aldershot, you'd, you'd go past and you'd see this, this, this statue. Uh, and finally, if you're uh, in Thessalonica, this is Alexander the Great uh, and his war horse, uh, who together conquered the world 300 years uh, before Jesus. Uh, and 150 years before Alexander were those words that we just heard from Zechariah, promising, prophesying a different kind of king. See, your king comes to you, righteous, victorious, lowly, and riding not on a stallion, not on a, a war horse, but on a donkey, and not even a full-sized donkey at that. On a colt, the foal of a donkey, I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem, God says, and the battle bow will be broken and he will teach peace to the nations. <laughs> Zechariah is, is prophesying that, that Israel's king... Israel's true and anointed king, the Messiah, will not be like Alexander the Great, riding on a war horse and conquering by killing. Instead, this king will come with gentleness and humility, riding on a lowly donkey and teaching peace to the nations. I guess that the most of us are aware that in, that in the time of Jesus, the land of Judea was, was occupied. It was occupied territory. It was, it was part of the Roman Empire. 
And of course, the Jewish people resented that greatly and longed for freedom, longed to be free of these wretched Romans. And the Roman governor at that time was, was a guy called Pontius Pilate. We discover him later in the week. Uh, and his palace was, was in a place called Caesarea Maritima. It was a Roman city constructed by, by Herod the Great. And for most of the year, he was based at Caesarea Maritima, except at Pentecost. At Pentecost, he would make sure that he was in, in Jerusalem. Passover is, Passover is the great celebration of Jewish freedom. It's the celebration of when God rescued his people from an oppressive foreign power. It was a time of national pride and, and celebration and, and the population of Jerusalem would swell from about 40,000 to 200,000. Uh, imagine what, what Seven Oaks would be like with, with a couple of hundred thousand uh, here for the, for the week. So you can understand why the Romans might be a bit nervous this celebration of freedom, this celebration of when God got rid of the Egyptians in those days. Read Romans, maybe. This was the time when revolts can and did break out. As some group decided that now was the time for Israel to be free at last. Now was the time to get rid of the Romans and God would be on their side. So in the spring of what would probably have been AD 30, Pilate travelled from Caesarea Maritima to Jerusalem to keep order during the Passover. And he arrives in Jerusalem riding There we go. Riding on a war horse. A white stallion at the head of the imperial cavalry. 600 armed horsemen and hundreds of foot soldiers. It's a military parade. It's a, it's a show of force. A message is being sent and the message is, don't even think about it. Don't think about revolution. Don't think about revolt. See the power that we wield. The message is that Rome rules the world by force, by its ability to crush anyone who would stand against it. It's a bit like Russia in Red Square every year on Victory Day. Or China. Or North Korea on their big military parades. Apparently, Mr. Trump's feeling left out and he wants America to have a big parade. I think it's going to happen in November. Uh, it'll be good for morale, he says. The horses have gone, but the message, the message is the same. Don't even think about it. Don't mess with us. This is what you're up against. So Pilate comes from Caesarea Maritima, and because of that, he enters Jerusalem from the west. That's where Caesarea Maritima is, it's on the west. So he would have entered through the west, through the western gate. And that same week, Jesus arrives from 
Judea, from Galilee, from north, walked for about a week via Jericho. And with Jesus are his 12 disciples and also a, a crowd of followers from, from Galilee. A crowd who believe, come to believe that this is the Messiah. This is the anointed king. This is, this is the one who has come to, to liberate Israel. And as they approach Jerusalem, they find themselves on the Mount of Olives, looking down on the city. And Jesus calls a couple of the disciples over. I need a donkey, he says. I need you to go into that village. And when you enter, you'll find a donkey. A colt, the foal of a donkey. And I need that. Just tell them the Lord has need of it. And we'll return it. And then bring it to me. And what Jesus is doing is deliberately and intentionally fulfilling that prophecy from, from Zechariah. That one day a king would come. Israel's true king, riding not on a war horse, but humbly and lowly, riding on a donkey. And so the donkey is obtained and Jesus climbs on. And, and you know how the story goes. Jesus' followers line the path and with their garments. And because the king is coming, they cut down palm branches. And they wave them and they shout, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the king of Israel. Blessed is the coming kingdom of David. Jesus is Lord. Now we think of all those terms as, as nice, nice religious terms. Hosanna. Sort of word you say in, in church. Jesus is Lord. But first and foremost, they were political words. Statements about kings and about rulers and about where true authority lies. And so what we see on Palm Sunday is, is two processions, two parades, one from the east and one from the west. The one from the west is a military parade proclaiming the power of the Roman Empire. The other is a prophetic procession declaring the arrival of another kingdom. The kingdom of God, the kingdom that comes from heaven. One parade celebrates empire and force and trust in war to shape the world. The other parade celebrates the Prince of Peace and trusts God to heal the world by, by suffering love. One parade is led by some dude on a horse surrounded by the latest military hardware. And the other parade is led by a king on a donkey. And those who follow are armed with palm branches. Now the people who are in that parade coming from the west with the governor and the imperial cavalry and all the latest military hardware, they think those who are calling the guy on a donkey a king, they think they're crazy. 
And the guy on the donkey is the craziest of all. And if he carries on like that, he's, he's going to get himself killed. There's one more thing that Luke tells us about that day. And that is that when Jesus saw Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, he wept. If you even you had only known on this day what would bring you peace. But now it is hidden from your eyes. That's a view of Jerusalem today from the Mount of Olives. And I don't know if you can quite see it, but down on the, on the right, there's a, there's a sort of white. You can just about see the roof of a white, a white building. It's, it's a Franciscan chapel. It's built in the shape of a tear. It's known as Dominus Flevet. Jesus wept. And it's venerated as the spot where Jesus wept when he looked over Jerusalem. And it's a chapel where the, where the focus of the chapel and the community that served the chapel is, is to pray for the peace of the world. To pray for peace. Jesus wept. Because he knew that in their hell-bent embrace of nationalism and a military conquest, Jerusalem was blind for the things that made for peace. And 30 years later, 30 years later, Jerusalem became a smoldering Gehenna, a literal hell where the fire is not quenched and the worm doesn't die out, doesn't die. Think a leper today, maybe. That's why Jesus shed his tear. I'd look at Wikipedia this week at some statistics. Uh, I looked up the number of casualties in the Second World War uh, across across the world. Uh, apparently, according to, to Wikipedia, there's uh, during the Second World War, 70 million people across the world were, were killed. Apparently, it's equivalent to nearly 4% of the world's population at the time, one in, one in 25, uh, not to mention those who were injured and traumatized. Uh, it became known as the war to end all wars. Do you see the tears? Do you hear the sound of, of Jesus weeping? The war to end all wars, it was, it was called... I wonder if anyone can have a guess at how many armed conflicts, separate ones, there were between 1945 and 2000. Anyone have a suggestion how many conflicts worldwide between 1945 and 2000? Someone throw a figure. 18. 18. According to Wikipedia's classification, there were 284 armed conflicts around the world, differing sizes, some were smaller and, and some were bigger. Uh, the war to end all wars. Do you see the tears, the sound of, of Jesus weeping? If you even you had only known on this day the things that will bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. 
Afghanistan, Iraq, Syria, the Mexican drug war, the Rohingya conflict, the Somali civil war, Darfur, the Boko Haram insurgency, Libya, Yemen, South Kordofan, South Sudan, the Central African Republic, all continue to this day. This day. Apparently the world spends over two billion pounds each day on white stallions. Two billion pounds each day. Meanwhile, some, a couple of years ago, some, or a few years ago, some statistics were, were released which showed that the average child, by the time they're 18, will have seen about 36,000 hours of TV or Netflix or DVDs, 36,000 hours by the time they're 18. And they reckon that the average child, by the time they're 18, will have seen 15,000 violent deaths on TV. According to my calculation, that's about three a day. Night after night on TV, film, Netflix, our children are served up violence as entertainment and being given the message that the solution to the world's problem is just to be bigger and stronger and more violent. And as they do that, if you listen carefully, you can hear the sound of weeping in heaven. Sound of weeping in heaven. When I was younger, there was a song we used to sing in, in, in the church I went to called Kyrie eleison, Lord have mercy. There are lots of, lots of songs called Kyrie eleison, Lord have mercy. This one had the, had the, this was the first verse. Look around you. Can you see times are troubled? People grieve. See the violence. Feel the hardness. All my people weep with me. Does anyone know that one? Yeah. Remember it? Great. I haven't sung that for years. All my people weep with me, weep for the needless deaths, for the trauma, for the poverty, for the refugees fleeing their homes, wandering in search of a new start, a new home. There's a long tradition of lament in Christian spirituality, of weeping with Jesus for the, for the world. If only you'd ever... If you even you had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it's hidden from your eyes. And Jesus weeps. So two parades. Just as last week, remember there were two paths, two roads. Charlie was, was talking about the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Two vines, two trees. Or two builders, the one that built on rock and the one who built on sand. Two parades, both proclaiming a different king, both proclaiming a different way of being kings. The thing about the gospel story is not just the message that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is king but that it's specific about his way of being a king. And we see that most clearly in the Easter story. Begins here on a donkey with palm leaves and continues with a towel and a basin ready to wash some feet. And with bread and wine. 
and then a cross where Jesus endures humanity's brokenness and sin and violence even unto death. On the face of it, just one more victim. One more victim of humanity's lust for blood. And yet this is how Jesus becomes king. This is how he's lifted up. Not on a throne, but on a tree. This is how he accomplishes what God sent him to do. This is how sin and evil and violence and death are defeated. This is how people all over the world are drawn to Jesus in faith. This is how it is in the kingdom of God. These are the marks of the kingdom, surrender and sacrifice and humility and righteousness and grace and forgiveness and service and love, love of God, love of self, love of neighbor, and yes, even love of enemy. This is how God saves the world. This is how God works then and now. Not like the Romans, not by bullying, not by force, not by violence, but by love, by suffering love. This is how God works in the world. And you and I are invited to join the parade. We're invited to join our hosannas to the hosannas of the crowd. And we're called to join the parade. To walk in the footsteps of Jesus. By laying down our lives for others. By sacrificing our self-interest. So that we might serve the interests of others. By committing ourselves to the small, humble and often secret acts of love. That nourish and enhance life for those around us. This is the path that Jesus walks. And this is the path for those who follow. Amen. Let's pray. Let's pray. Father God, we confess that we live in a part of a world that is addicted to violence. We have celebrated and mythologized the violence that we call good only to be shocked by the violence that we know is evil. We have sown the wind and reaped the whirlwind. Forgive us, we pray, and deliver us from our own evil. Lord God, may we who confess Jesus, Christ as Lord and as the Prince of Peace, may we see your tears. And may we hear your weeping. And may we too embody the way of peace. Where there is hatred, may we be those who so love. May we weep with the victims. And pray for the healing, both of those who suffer violence and those who inflict violence. Where there's injury, may we so love. Where there is doubt, faith. 
where there is despair, hope, where there is darkness, light, and where there is sadness, joy. O Master, grant that we might not so much seek to be consoled as to be those who console, to be understood as those who seek to understand, to be loved as to love. O God, for it's in giving that we receive, for it's in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it's in dying that we're born to eternal life. Help us to be that kind of people, O God, and to live in that kind of way, that we might reflect the glory of Jesus, that we might might be known as those who follow in his footsteps. Amen.